exactly what you just said. I've heard business people say things like that, where they're they say, um, "It's working fine," you know, <laughs> like don't don't not, don't fix don't it if it's yeah. yeah if it's not broken. Um, you know, a, a different way to look at this is the machine that you have this employee working on five days a week, six, seven, eight, nine, ten hours a day, um, doing hundreds of tasks, um, you know, should it be the absolute cheapest machine that we can buy, mm-hmm. right? Like, like if you want to get great results, if, if you were to compare it to like a football team or something, right? Like if we, if you gave uh, Tom Brady um, the cheapest cleats that you could find at Goodwill, like he's probably not going to have as good of a football game than if you get him some high quality ones. They don't have to be, you know, really expensive ones, but there's a certain base level of quality that things need to be at for people to be effective. And um, for sure, it costs a lot of money to buy computers and phones and, and things like that. Um, but it's an investment and one that every single person in the company like sees every day. It's a tool that's in front of them. And, you know, I think there's a similar dynamic that kind of plays out with software and apps um, where people kind of try to cut corners on them. But, like, these are, like, employees that are working for you 24 hours a day. They're never calling sick, right, like a, a computer server. Um, <clears throat> never calls in sick or maybe gets sick once in a while. But um, it's I've never had somebody call me in my career and say, my computer's going too fast. <laughs> the server's working too good. Right? But I've had, the, the, I don't know how many, but thousands of calls saying it's too slow. Thousands of calls saying, you know, the server, like, just yesterday we had a situation where literally a, a 25 location customer, um, a few hundred employees, um, things went down for 30 seconds. And we got, I don't know how many calls, but 20 or 30 calls, right? Like that's the level of, of service that people expect, the utility of these things that people expect and that they need to use their job. This morning, that particular customer, things are still running a little bit slow. And how do you align that expectation of on-demand uptime with valuing that same stuff? How do you align that? Because that's, that's the hard part. It's very little value in it. Knowing that full well, you rely on these things twenty four seven, right? They always work for you. The moment they stop working, it's a it's a total headache and problem, and maybe losing money and business and opportunity. Mm-hmm. But on the reverse side of that, the willingness to invest in it, it's an uphill battle. The the experience I've had is uh, a lot of times this conversation you're having with the CFO, right, mm-hmm. or, or somebody in that capacity, an accounting person, or you know, accounting people have usually been in charge of IT and in companies, um, in non-tech companies. Um, and so they tend to make decisions through a financial lens, right? Like they're literally looking at like, they weigh the risk side of things a little bit heavier. And so you gotta explain things on their terms, mm-hmm. right? Like you have to um, you have to think about them and, and what they're considering and definitely talk about the risk, but then also help them see um, the potential upside, right? Like the giving people the best tools is a message that resonates with a lot of leaders, right? Like, should we have good tools for our people that like make them more effective? 
Or should we buy the cheapest ones? Other arenas of the business, in some cases, if it's an excavation company and there's field workers, I bet you they're driving newer trucks, right? Vehicles, and they probably have some very nice equipment in the field to dig dirt or whatever it is that that does. And you wouldn't give them a shovel, right? I mean, you could. That's the same analogy that I've used a lot is if you had a giant pile of dirt, Mm -hmm. right? You could use a spoon or a shovel to move it, but a dump truck and, you know, a, a backhoe is a lot more effective. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and some of those metaphors and analogies start to break down, but it is that type of, of thinking. And, and um, the biggest advice that I have, at least one of the things that I try to do and you know, I'm not always successful at it, is just think about the other person and what their position is. And even if we can't do everything right now like laying out a plan that says hey look this is important or at least I believe this is important and over the next 12 18 24 months here's how I think we can get from where we are to a place where our people have really good tools where our software is better where you know whatever improvements it is that you're trying to make Mm -hmm. laying out that plan waiting until everything breaks um you know stressful yeah it's it's, (laughs) it's not ideal but th- th- this kind of story repeats itself, and um, I just, I've heard so many IT people just s- since I started. I mean, I remember being 20 years old in college and reading posts on Slashdot about this, and I'm still reading them today on Reddit um, and other places. People saying things like, you know, the managers just don't get it. They cheaped out on this, you know, uh, that kind of attitude. And, and I really believe that um, at most companies, if you can help them understand the problem, if you can, like that most leaders, the, most people in leadership positions, if they have good intentions, mm-hmm. they want to do good things for the company, we just have to help them understand what that actually, how to frame that. So as an IT person in an organization like that, how do they, how do they communicate that message? Um, the first step is realizing that you have, that it's your job to do that, right? Or that, that you have to like kind of step up to do that. And, the, you know, I know a lot of people in our field are a little bit more introverted and it's hard to go to a boss or your boss's boss and like make a case. But um, my favorite saying, my favorite quote, you know what it is, it's um, chance favors a prepared mind, mm-hmm. right, by, by Louis Pasteur. And the better prepared you are, the better kind of case you can build. in a cordial way, right, in a, in a business-like way, um, doing things for the greater good of the organization, people listen to that. Um, if you just come in and start dropping megabytes and gigabytes and Windows 10 and TLS 1.2 is going to be deprecated in April of 2019, and when, nobody understands what you're talking about, right? So think about the other person and what you know, and the company's goals and talk about the greater good of the company and things like that. And um, I think you at least get people's attention that way. Okay. All right, so there's a, a quote from this gentleman, or I, I, don't, I guess I don't know if it's a per, uh, gentleman, but a person named Matt, Mad Turreter. And this is sarcastic, right? This isn't a sarcastic thread about, it's the day that Sears declared bankruptcy. And he writes... As we all know, businesses that refuse to change will be the ones that stand the test of time. The only way to move forward is by standing still. And then 
Jimmers14 replied, is that a quote from a series? You know? And, like... Could have been one from Toys R Us. Yeah. You know? Or Bonton, or Aman Pashop in the early 2000s. Um, you know, and a question to ask ourselves is, like, which businesses today are there, right? Like, our, I, I think banks are kind of there. But when you look at, like, Sears specifically, I remember going to the Sears and Roebuck Tower in uh, Chicago when I was a kid and riding the, the really fast elevators up to the top and just being in awe. And we, when we went through this tour, um, that building has this series of tubes in it that people in the bottom of the, or like in the basement of the building in the, on the first and lower level floors um, were able to ship paperwork and documents and small products through the series of tubes throughout the whole building and it was part of their you know really advanced logistics network at the time um, because they were the they were the biggest mail order company on the planet for 100 years right or maybe not exactly 100 years but approaching 100 years and um, a lot of people think that Sears was in a super strong position to be Amazon. Like they could have, maybe not easily, but they could have been Amazon, right? Like they had the distribution network, they had the um, the really varied um, SKUs, right? Lots of different products, uh, household and tools and some great brands, mm-hmm. um, Kenmore and Craftsman that they divested, right? They quote unquote divested, they sold them off. and. Um, and then you look at other companies um, like Blockbuster, right? Like versus Netflix that um, looking at it through the rear view mirror, it's kind of, you know, you, 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 you got to question their decisions, right? Like, hey, why, why didn't they see this coming and all this and that? And, um, you know, at the end of the day, I think it's just people have a hard time with change, right? Like at the end of the day, that's that's what I think it kind of boils down to. The the work that we've done to try to understand this and, and learning from other people's work is like, what are the qualities of some of the companies that are having success in today's environment? And then also like, what are the things that, um, that worked against? Like what forces worked against some of these companies that kind of really quickly went under? Mm-hmm. Um, Sears would have been under a lot sooner if it wasn't for, um, I believe his name is Eddie Lambert, the um, investor that you know gave him a longer runway, right? Put up a few billion dollars, and if it wouldn't have been for that, they would have been bankrupt a few years ago. The as I was trying to understand this, and you know, I don't claim to be an expert on it. I, I obviously there, there there's other people, but as as I was trying to understand this, the example that um, I learned from from some lecture at Stanford was was Blockbuster. Yeah. And, you know, the, the dynamic played out like this. You had a Blockbuster in a, in a town, and all of a sudden Netflix started... They're delivering, right? Yeah, they started delivering DVDs to people in the, in the early 2000s. And, you know, say 5% of the people in that town or 10% of the people in that town started, uh, moved over to Netflix. That impacted Blockbuster because Blockbuster still had the same cost regardless of however many of uh, like regardless of how many people rented videos from Blockbuster 
their cost was fixed, right? They still had to pay for the store to be open. They had to pay for their licensing fees, all that stuff, their employees to, you know, they had a, a critical mass of money, a baseline of money that they had to pay every month to just keep that store open. And what happened was, as soon as Netflix started hitting 20 to 30% kind of penetration in a town, and you know, I'm using the term town like you would use the term market, um, Blockbuster business model, yeah, that location, that business model for that location broke. So it didn't, you know, uh, Netflix didn't have to take 90% of the customers. That's what a lot of people think. Like that was some of the assumptions I had going into how did they destroy this company? And it just took enough. Just enough off the top. And, you know, that had this compounding effect, right? Then that blockbuster closed, and then more people in that town went to Netflix, and that story repeated itself up until I think there's still like one blockbuster open in Canada or something, right? Like there the story has it's it's still repeating. But if you look at Sears and Amazon, it's the same thing. Right? Like Amazon didn't take ninety percent of Sears business, they took five percent. Mm-hmm. Then ten. Um, same thing with Toys R Us. Right? They didn't take a, like a hundred percent of people didn't start buying toys. So so, you know, that's under you know I think that helps just frame it and helps us understand that a little bit. And then you try to say, okay, well what are the principles? Like what what makes something like Amazon kind of take off? Like what are the companies that are having success? What are they doing? And in our work, we wrote down these um, these four principles that we think are um, are key to it. So, you know, we, we were looking at these principles of what makes these companies successful today. Obviously, there's a lot, you know, at play, and, and a lot of people think it's just money and things like that. Um, I believe it's, you know, they're able to connect with people in the in better ways than before, right? Um, there's people better than me to talk about, you know, the, the shift from TV to mobile and all those sorts of things, but that's definitely something that's that's at play here that people's attention has shifted to different places, right? The CEO of a company um, and a 12-year-old, they both go home at night and look at their phones. Um, they're not they're not watching TV like they were a decade ago. That's definitely um, reality. And so when you start boiling it down to some principles, here's, here's the ones we came up with. So the first one is meet customers where they are. Um, most of them are on mobile phones, um, but this is a principle that if you're in a if you're in a technology leadership position, right, and you're in a B two B environment, your customers are maybe in their ERP or in their CRM or or out at some networking event or whatever. Um, finding kind of digital ways to meet customers where they are. Another one of the principles is make it easy to pay and get paid, right? I think Uber is an amazing example of this, and it's one of the one of the reasons that they're having success is it's just it's just easy um and both sides of the equation make it easy to pay and get paid that's right yeah um another one is make it easy to buy right and like you can't take any one of these by itself they all kind of build on each other right so making it easy to buy uber is a great example netflix is a great example i think the work that walmart is doing right now with their grocery um, delivery, or I'm sorry, the grocery pickup service. Um, it's been a huge hit for them and kind of has stole some business back from Amazon that, um, uh, you know, that maybe people weren't expecting. Um, and the last one is accommodate 
customer and employee preferences. And, you know, just some quick points on that one is some people prefer asynchronous communication methods like text or email. Some people like to pick up the phone and get a human on it. And the companies that are able to meet people where they are, accommodate their preferences, make it easy for them to buy, out of all the companies I work with, um, the ones that kind of get that and are doing it, the ones that are having the most success, right? Because they're, ma- like, they're literally removing the friction um, from the people that they're trying to so, uh, serve. Yeah. Um, okay. I think one of the, the like, clearest examples of this is Panera. Um, Panera is a U.S. company that has, I don't know how many restaurants. I think they have 600 last time I looked or something like that. And in 2015, it's got to be more than 600 restaurants, but in 2015, um, their CEO, I remember he came on on TV and was talking about some strategic investments that they were going to make, right? And that it was probably going to result in them having less people working in each store. And so he was kind of prepping the, at this time, Panera was a publicly traded company in the United States. He's kind of prepping people for, hey, we're going to lay some people off. And what he was talking about is that they were going to set up these kiosks and redo their internet back end or their, their web back end so that people could order, could walk into a store and order at a kiosk. If you live in the United States, you've probably seen this. Um, well, what ended up happening is they launched this uh, the following year. And it wasn't just the kiosks. The back end that they put up also powered uh a new, like really nicely done, polished app that they made along with it. And so this made it so that their customers could, like anybody can just order food on their mobile device right now from Panera, go pick it up. You can walk in, you don't have to talk to anybody. You can just pick up your food um, right off of a, right off of like a little locker thing that they had, right? Um, The following year when they put this in place, one billion with a B dollars moved to online sales from them. Right, so like that, that desire path of people that wanted to use that, it was already there. Yep. Like the market was already, there was already people that wanted this, obviously. Um, and they had to hire, I don't remember the exact number, but thousands of delivery drivers and you know, probably team up with Uber Eats or who knows on those sorts of things. It went so well for them that their stock went up like 53% in six months. And um, another, I think it was Krispy Kreme ended up buying them, right? And taking them back to private. Like there was just so much success there. And it's because these people were um, trying to get closer to their co- their customers. And they thought they were going to lay people off as a result, but instead they had to hire more. That's right. They have more people so working in each store now. I think they ended up, the average was adding one more person per store. Wow. So, you know, it's, it's hard. Technology. Thinking about your customers' most principles makes an impact that you might not be able to even control. That's that's why we spend so much time on the principle side of this. Is like, you know, it's it's hard, like so many people want this plan that you can, you know, we're gonna do this step and then this is gonna happen. Then we're gonna do this other step and then this is gonna happen. This is gonna. That's great. Um, when you're doing new things and you're dealing with kind of new dynamics and economics that are happening in the world right now, it's a little harder to do that. And especially um, if you're looking at it only through a financial lens or only through a technology lens, um, I really believe that the best place to look at it from is, you know, go stand in your customer's shoes. Like just go stand in the customer's shoes and 
what's what's the absolute easiest way for me to get whatever it is that you're selling? Do that. Yep. And technology can help with that a lot. Um, and the, and the, the, the reason I think this is so important is there's all these technology people, right, that sell themselves short. They're just, um, well, Panera can do that. Walmart can do that. Well, Walmart's, uh, all their work, right, or at least a lot of the tech work, They've made it open source. Like anybody can use their electrode app to their electrode stack, I should say, um, to do some similar things. Now it's not easy, um, but it's probably worthwhile if you're at a like a mid market company and um, you don't think these things are obtainable. Um, you know what's really the blocker? Is it that the things are obtainable, or is it that you don't think that they're obtainable? So a little bit of that sounds like initiative too. Right, and having that confidence to take it to your leaders, right, and and bring that message forth. That's like right. You mentioned earlier. Well, Amazon has this principle that's that's called like invent things on that they say invent things on behalf of your customers. Mm -hmm. And I've been in so many business things where you know, hey, we want to do this technology initiative, and everybody wants to figure out before like before we even have the conversation about the customer, everybody wants to figure out how we're going to make money on this. Right? How are we going to make money on this? It's an important question. I mean, it's a legitimate, important question. Um, but sometimes you just got to invent a few different things and try them out with your customers, see which ones they like, and then do more of that. Yeah. That's how you make more money. And, and if you want to formalize a that a little bit, there's kind of this, this incubator um methodology that you see in like Y Combinator and in, in some of these other companies where like, you know, you, you do things in a minimum viable product way. Um, you spread your bets across a lot of things. But I, I don't think that the strategy is actually the problem. I think the problem is that people, especially technologists like that 23 year old technologist who's like, you know, knows some PowerShell or some Python or a little bit of this or a little bit of that is just believing that like, in themselves that hey i can you know i can do this i can i can like other people have done this why can't i i can pull together a team or i can learn some things or i can come up with this idea and once you get past that mental block um that's when you can actually start things make things happen it's just so easy especially with engineering mindsets right with, with these super smart folks that are that are engineers um they're literally were trained in school to find the problems right away, like find where the bridge is going to crack oh, before we right. exactly. And I mean that's that's a that's a superpower, mm -hmm. um, but sometimes it's also a blocker in your brain uh, to creativity, and um, the permission to be creative with technology is something that we have to give ourselves, right? That like we don't have to go get approval for every single idea or, or things from our superiors. You know, to work on them ourselves, even well, outside of. Inside of some well, just ask to someone say, "Look, I, I saw this opportunity or this trend, and I decided to, you know, inside but outside of the business kind of way, see what this looks like, and then take that proof, if you will, to that person. Yeah. You're you're having a very different conversation than the one you mentioned before, where you're just rattling off gigabytes and, and things of that nature. Yeah, you got it, and um, you know, I talk about putting yourself in the other person's shoes right like go stand in your customer's shoes you know the other place to stand is in leadership shoes and you know notice i i like one of the things 
like I, I don't like the word management or like management implies some things whatever I like the word leadership and I think that um, most people that are in leadership roles right so supervisors managers directors VPs senior all the whole suite of, of people c-suite people presidents um they want leaders right like 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 if if in my position right I'm I'm in a leadership position you get people that just sometimes just bring you issues or problems and that's fine right like that's it's literally our job to deal with those and, and resolve them but then sometimes you'll get people that'll you know, obviously we work with them to try to... Take it one step further. Yeah. They, they bring a solution with it or an idea. Um, that's a lot better place to attack a, a problem from. Because here's an issue. Look, here's some ideas about how we can deal with it. Here's what I've thought through. And um, it just demonstrates that that person cares. And just those two things together. Like, forget, like, all the technical skill setting classes and things that they've taken in education. Like, just if they care and they took the time to think things through, they're probably going to get a better outcome than somebody that just, you know, has a PhD but is just poking holes in everything. Mm -hmm. Right? Because they want to. Because they care. And, and um, I just, I think in technology, we forget that sometimes. Right? That, like, we're humans, we have emotions, um, we have to deal with that 